Welcome to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions. The Move to Value podcast is dedicated to helping healthcare providers understand and make the transition into value-based care. We do this through conversations and the sharing of innovative ideas with experts and leaders throughout the healthcare industry. Our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team by cultivating a value-oriented, compassionate, and health-aligned community. In this episode of the Move to Value podcast, we continue our conversation with Dr. Kim Vasudi, Senior Director of Clinical Operations at CHESS, about advanced care planning and how to document those patient interactions. Dr. Kim Vasudi, welcome to the Move to Value podcast. It's good to have you back. Thanks, Thomas. So last time we talked um, about a lot of the factors that go into advanced care planning, how the provider sometimes has to wrestle with decisions, perhaps feel some discomfort um, with acknowledging end of life and that it perhaps goes against all of the training that a provider has. Before we left, you touched on some of the financial components that are involved in advanced care planning. And, you know, as uncomfortable as this conversation might be to have, talking about the financial component might be just as uncomfortable. Exactly. But I do think that there is a good motivator to have these Uh, conversations with patients beyond uh, the benefit to the patient. Mm -hmm. And that would be how the provider would be compensated or reimbursed for having those office visits, which we all know is is part of the business of healthcare. So it's been said that the success of an accountable care organization um, is not about whether physicians should give their patients more care or less Um, But it's about having the right conversation with the right person at the right time and being able to act on that person's wishes for their health. So as we move away from, you know, the discomfort of those conversations, I just want to touch one more time on on how having these conversations before a patient, uh, before they're actively dying, how they impact the metrics for success and value, like patient satisfaction, quality utilization and cost reduction. That's a long question. Yes, I apologize. It's but very big. Very. I, there's, I might have zoned out a minute there. Okay, I apologize for that. <laughs> so I, I think what we're trying to really, really distill this down in, in to being is, yeah. is having those conversations um, do impact value. And and can you tell me maybe how that how that is how, how, why that is so? What yes, is the case? Yes, I can. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, let me save you from yourself, Thomas. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Verbose <laughs> is, is what we are. So, so with advanced, uh, excuse me, now I'm, I'm advanced care plan all over the place. So with an ACO, so an accountable care organization, our goal is really to give, like you said, the right care at the right time to the right person. And in doing so, sometimes you have to look at the cost of the care because that's the bottom line. We spend too much money in healthcare and we need to make sure that we're spending it properly and on the right people and making the the most impact on the people that we're we're touching. So that being said, when it comes to end of life, that is the most expensive time of our lives when it comes to our healthcare cost. And it doesn't have to be. Some of the reason it is is because people have not laid out what their desires are for their end of life and 
their family members say, do it all, you know, give them, do everything that you can possibly do for my family member, my loved one, when maybe that person did not want those things done. Maybe they had a different vision of how their life would, um, process or become, you know, their life, their end of life would occur. So that having that conversation, what is it that it looks like to you at your end of life? Do you want every machine? Do you want every antibiotic? Do you want every intervention? And the patient can really make that decision ahead of time. They don't have to wait to the last minute. They don't have to rely on their family members in a moment of feeling very vulnerable and upset and emotional, that it can all be laid out ahead of time. And that would save money. Now, here's the thing. Patients, this is kind of an interesting statistic. So patients who've had an advanced care plan discussion within three months of dying actually spent more money. They had more interventions. But a patient who had the advanced care plan discussion a year ahead of time, ahead of their death, they actually chose more conservative measures. What does that mean exactly? My interpretation is that when you're so close and you're not really giving it much thought, you're like, do it all. Or your family member says, do it all. But if you've had time to process, you've had that year, you can think about it. You can say, well, maybe that's not my choice. Maybe I would choose a more conservative measure. Maybe I would choose palliative care or hospice. And we find that patients who have advanced care plan discussions with their providers do choose palliative care and hospice interventions more than others. We also find that there's an overall decrease in utilization. There's an overall decrease um, in hospital stays and admissions for patients who have advanced care plans. There's a decreased cost of end-of-life care without increased mortality. It's not like we're letting people suffer. We are not spending as much money, but they're still living just as long in that end-of-life season. So that just thinking about it in money terms, and I think um, that's the tough part because it's like it's the end of life. You want to preserve life, but at the same time, at what cost? So... This is an interesting thing, though. When, a, when patients have had an advanced care plan, they've discussed it with their family, their family knows their wishes, they actually have increased satisfaction from both the patient and the caregiver. Knowing what the right choice is, getting that ahead of time, there's no pressure. We know if this is happening to mom, this is what mom's wishes are. I will grant mom her wishes. And the family and the patient are more satisfied with that. So as hard as it is to have the discussion about money, um, the we, we do save money when we have an advanced care plan, but the patients and their family members are also happier with those choices. And that seems to go against what you would expect, but, exactly. but in, but in some ways it does make a lot of sense because I think, I think what we all look for at the end of life is, is contentment yeah. and closure. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, if you don't have that mental preparation beforehand, it becomes very terrifying and you, yes. you sort of scramble. That's right. Right. Yes. It's like you're grasping, you're, you're cramming for the exam mm -hmm. of transitioning yeah. out of this life. Yeah. That being said, treatment choices near the end of life are typically not simple, consistent, logical, linear, or predictable. 
they're complex, uncertain, emotionally laden, and fluid. So how do we make sure that the wishes of a patient are kept as sort of that North Star, that guide star for clinical decisions? The discussions are one place, so the, when the provider knows. And then putting it down formally on paper is another. The patient having the discussion with their family so their pa- family is aware is another. There, there's many times when, when the discussion's not had and, you know, daughter from New Jersey comes in and she's taken over, but she doesn't know what mom wants. So having the discussion is important getting it down on paper so everyone knows what it is, especially when they get to the hospital or they're in hospice care to palliative care. Everyone knows what the patient is wanting. And here's the caveat. They can change their mind anytime they want to. This does not, just because they wrote it down, just because it's signed, doesn't mean the patient can't change their mind, because they can. And we can re-document that. We can you know, put in documentation all over again. So it's, it is fluid. It is complex. Um, there are emotions involved, and it's okay. We do the best we can. This is one way to outline it so that we can try to make the best decisions for the patient as possible, and they can change their mind anytime. Do you see folks changing their mind uh, the closer they get to perhaps the end of life? or Personally, I have not. No, I think anyone who's been in the position where maybe they saw a family member pass, there is a time when I feel like most people understand that there really is no turning back, that no intervention is going to change anything. And there is an acceptance of that. And it's, personally, it's a moment that I find very reassuring, I guess, because I hope that when it comes my time, that it's feels okay, that I'm not scared or that I'm not grasping or, um, but that it's a, an acceptance, like this is next step, you know, this is where I'm headed and that's okay. I'm okay with that. So as, as we dip more into the, the financial component from the provider, the accountable care organization, Mm -hmm. you know, the standpoint outside of the patient purview, what type of documentation for reimbursement for these conversations is required for providers who have the advanced care planning discussions with their patients? Mm-hmm. There are two codes, so it's pretty easy. Uh, the first code is um, 99497, and that is a code that you can use for the first 30 minutes of a face-to-face discussion with a patient, a family member, or a surrogate. And it can be a minimum of 16 minutes. So it doesn't have to be 30 total, but from 16 to 30 minutes, really. The other code is a 99498, and that's for each additional 30-minute discussion on on top of the 99497. So, and in both of these, there is no requirement to have any kind of forms filled out, no advanced directives filled out. Um, it's just that basic discussion of end-of-life care and advanced care planning with the patient. You do have to document, though, um, to be able to justify these codes. And you have to show that the patient was voluntary, that they had this discussion with you on their own accord, that you explained what advanced directives are, 
You have to write down who was present. So if it's daughter and patient or some other family member, you need to write down their names. You have to say what the amount of time was spent face-to-face encounter. And then document any change in the health status or the health care wishes if the patient becomes unable to make their own decisions so that if that needs to be changed, if you're writing this and it needs to be changed, you need to document what their wishes are. So it's not difficult. And these codes can be t- used anytime. It's not like it's a one and done. Um, I typically use this at a well visit. So I have a patient who um, comes in for their yearly visit. We start to have the conversation. It's 16 minutes or longer. I use the 99497 code and I can do it again next year. There's no real limit to how many times I can use it. Of course, once I've done it, maybe next year we discuss it again. So it, it just is one of those things that you can use more than once. You know, when we look at documenting encoding all of the different um, diagnoses that a patient has. And I know that, um, as one of our colleagues say, you know, every every year, amputees grow a new limb. Everyone yes. gets, you know, everyone's coding. cured mm-hmm. again. And we have to redocument everything. So yeah. it sounds like this is another tool that can be used annually yeah. when you have those conversations. Mm-hmm. So that is then a motivator for the provider to, to have those conversations. I think so, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we have done a job and we should be compensated for the job. So this is one way to prove it. And honestly, Thomas, like I, I could do this in six months. I could do it now at their year, their yearly well visit. And when I see him in six months, Hey, do you want to talk about what we talked about last time? Do you want to go over that? Do you have any questions about that? And I could code it again if that's a 16 to 30 minute conversation. So it doesn't have to be a whole year in between, but typically that's how I do it just because the well visit is a reminder to me, Oh, maybe I should talk about that, you know, now. Um, but if it was one of those things where maybe I wrote myself a message, Hey, you, you told them about it. Maybe I gave them a form in six months. Maybe I'll say, did you bring that form back? Did you have a chance to talk to your family about it? And I can code again. So it's, it's one of those, anytime you want the conversation to happen, you can use that code. Well, this has been very helpful. Is I'm sure that there are many aspects of advanced care planning that I have neglected to ask <laughs> you about. Is there anything that you feel that would contribute to this discussion? Yeah, I think if so, providers often are uncomfortable with this, and um, there is help. So if you feel like this is something I just am not ready for, don't know how to do, a lot of our local hospice and palliative care organizations offer education for the provider and for the family members. Um, we are working with an organization with. Um, with chess, we're partnering with an organization and they offer group sessions for patients and their um, family members to talk about advanced care planning. They offer education for providers, which I'm going to take advantage of because I'm sure I could learn many, many more things about this. And I, you know, I'm just doing it for my work. I don't, I've never been formally trained in any way. So I definitely want that. So I would say if anyone is interested, beyond what we're talking about, beyond articles, beyond our podcast, is that the hospice palliative care organizations within your community are a great resource for helping you and your patients with this process. Wonderful. Those, those folks do some amazing work. Mm-hmm. They really do. 
Dr. Kim Vasudi, thank you for joining us today on the Move to Value podcast. Thank you, Thomas. This was a difficult conversation, but it was actually really, um, I feel like it's enlightening for most people because they're they're having trouble with it as providers, patients um, do want to have the conversation. So I hope this has sparked an interest in some of the providers that maybe they'll start implementing this in their practice. I hope so too. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions, where our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. As always, you can head over to movetovaluepodcast.com to sign up for the email list, as well as check out all the resources in the show notes. If you are interested in continuing to hear about value-based care and how it impacts you, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, we would love it if you would share the Move to Value podcast across social media and leave a rating and review. See you next time.